Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello, fellow conspiracy realists. Quick disclaimer for this interview. We're massively excited to talk with our good friend, Baratunde, who you'll meet in just a moment. But we do want to give you a heads up, especially if you've got kiddos in the crew today. Uh, There's some strong language, and we just decided it was better not to uh, censor it. Now on with the show. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. There's a big question that many people don't think about as often as we should, which is simply put this. What does it mean to be a citizen? Whether you're talking about being a member of any community, a a citizen of a specific nation, or on an international level, a citizen of the world. And why do so many people so very often argue that the rights and responsibilities of citizenship are imperiled? What does it mean to be a citizen in 2022? What should we look forward to? What should we be mindful of? These are challenging questions, and some of these have been explored 
for thousands of years. So we didn't want to tackle them alone. We needed an expert. That is why today we are thrilled to be joining with the one and only award-winning writer, comedian, philosopher, I would argue, and podcaster, Baratunde Thurston. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, I know it was kind of awkward to hear me list off that stuff like while we're on the call. You got to do it, though. You got to do it. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, Noel, and Matt for having me. Uh, Thanks for calling me a philosopher, unlocking that degree that I paid a lot of money for. I, ga- I got to ask you, th- there was a clip from the new uh, Norm MacDonald thing where he says he feels sorry for the real modern day philosophers when people call comedians the philosophers of the modern day. So what about the real philosophers of them? You're, you're both, kind of. That's pretty cool. Kind of. I mean, I stopped at, like, thesis. I did not write a thesis. I didn't go to grad school and, like, pick apart a single problem. But I, 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 like, to, um, I like to ask questions. I like to pick apart answers that were given. Um, I mean, I think we share that, actually, the four of us and listening to your show. We've got a lot of questions, and, uh, and I appreciate the wrestling, the intellectual wrestling. So amateur philosopher, proud to say it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we have a um, quick background for everybody. Uh, we connected in person a number of months ago. I can't remember how many, uh, at South by Southwest, and we decided, I think we all decided to become fast friends because Matt, Noel, and I survived the very difficult proposition of speaking directly after you. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> yep, yep. So, I was so, your opening act. I mean, that's oh, pretty, that's pretty yeah. honorary position wrong? for me to it's be It's pretty in. wrong, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It, it was cool to see you out there watching us, too. And, like, you smiled a few times, so that's how I knew we kind of did okay. Because yeah, we were obviously great. all you did wrapped by your uh, presentation and just your whole vibe. It's like, I say presentation. That's not what it was. <laughs> We watch you. You're just speaking. You're speaking My to performance us on your mind. of self. Yeah, uh, but that's, again, I think the word performance is almost a misnomer, too. You have yeah. to wrap these things in some performative elements, but I think what you do is so you, and, and, and I just love it. Even your TED Talk, like obviously this is something that you wrote and that has beats to it, but it just feels like I'm seeing a person and I'm experiencing a person. I'm just, this is me complimenting you, basically. And Thank just you. I'm a big fan, but I, I love compliments. I'm a, I'm a rare person. That really appreciates validation. Uh, so thank you so much for <laughs> well, that. Uh, well, let, let's get into why you were there and why we were talking and, and having yeah. those discussions. So you're an author. You've written a ton of books. I am probably most interested in Keep Jerry Falwell Away From My Oreo Cookies. Uh, <laughs> the slightly lesser you, known. Okay, that's real research. I just got to pause to acknowledge the real research. Because when you said several books, I'm like, he must be counting the self-published ones at Kinko's. This is oh, yes. amazing. Yeah. Oh, yes. You, you've also, you know, you've you've shouted out congressional pages even in the titles of your books. Uh, really oh, love goodness. it. Oh, my goodness. But but you're a podcaster, and you've, you've been making podcast content for a long time, whether it's as a guest or, you know, creating different shows. But the one we have you on for today, the one that we really want to talk to you about is How to Citizen. And at that talk, you were you were telling us about why you made that show, how it came to fruition. I'd love for you to just tell our audience like uh, that story just a bit. Yeah. Uh, hello, audience. I'm Baratunde, and I'm going to tell you a story uh, about anger, frustration, and transformation of those emotions into something healthier. It's a little thing called social-emotional learning that some parents are threatened by because they want their kids to be worse than them. But that's another chapter. So... I was I was frustrated. Uh, I was frustrated with the news, something I think you can identify with. 
And in my uh, telling and experience, the news is designed to disempower us. Uh, we just hear a lot of bad news. We hear problems. Uh, we hear about powerful people, often some distance. And the implication is we, the listener, the viewer, the watcher, we're powerless. Uh, there's all these problems, but there's, there's like no one doing anything about it. And the only thing we're asked to do is to tune in at 11 for more despair. And that, that story didn't line up with another part of my experience, which was my actual life, which is filled with amazing people who are doing things, uh, who are doing things proactively, constructively, compassionately to try to make whatever version of their world better. And I was like, why can't we hear more about those people? Why can't we be given something to do besides listen to more disaster and occasionally vote, which is this empowering act, but quite honestly, also a little bit of uh, an abdication kind of act. It's a, it's a deferential act. Um, it's an outsourcing act, right? I'm, I'm giving an elected person some of my power and hope that they act on my behalf and I get to hold them accountable a couple years from now. Um, so voting super important. I am nef- never going to say don't vote, uh, but there are many people who can't. Uh, in, in a few retrograde states because they committed a felony uh, in, in most of, of the world because they're children, right? There are a lot of people who exist in this world, who contribute to this world, who can't vote in this world. So there's got to be other ways to exercise that power. That's a, that's a, a long setup to say, um, when faced with such a challenge and such frustration, I did what anyone who wants to change the world would do. Uh, and I made a podcast and I called it How to Citizen to help us interpret citizen as a verb, uh, not this um, noun that we use to divide us along these borderlines, but instead, like, what would it look like to, 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 to embody it? What would it look like to live out a sort of active participation in our self-government uh, beyond just the voting thing? And so that question has begotten three seasons uh, of episodes about 40-something episodes, and we're gearing up uh, as of this moment for our fourth season. Is it going to be on conspiracies? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, we have to. We have to ask at some point. But uh, I think there's plenty of those to go around for sure. And I think we're about to kind of talk about one in terms of like uh, language and, and disfluency and how words beget other words that are kind of designed to make us think of ourselves differently, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the questions. Yeah. One thing that really struck me um, when I was initially learning about how to citizen is the that exploration of citizenship as a verb. I mean, it's, it's no secret, um, at the risk of sounding cynical, that there are many power structures in the U.S. who would kind of rather you not vote, depending on your demographic, and spend a lot of time, you know, making it boring, making it super inconvenient, uh, Make you know, difficult like, and cryptic. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So that gives us the, uh, I think that empowers us to talk about the danger of passivity. And I'm interested in learning what advantages we discover when we reframe this concept of citizenship or citizenry, I should say, as a verb, like what, what does that mean to citizen? So my wife and I came up with the sort of belief system that powers the the answer to the question, how to citizen. And this was her insistence. She's like, before we go out here telling the world how to citizen, 
we should understand what we think it means. And so we consulted the sacred texts. Uh, we looked at the Constitution, Wikipedia, uh, our inner souls, and, uh, and we listened to our very early guests who are kind of co-founders uh, of this project because they were, they were chosen especially because they've been wrestling with these questions. They are philosophers and advocates um, and, and active citizens. One is a woman named Valerie Kaur, who's written a beautiful book called See No Stranger. And, uh, and her shorthand is a stranger is a part of me I do not yet know. And there's just a beautiful connectedness and empathy to that, which unlocks a whole different set of relationships. Uh, and then the second guest was Eric Liu, who founded something called Citizen University. So me, Elizabeth, Valerie, Eric had a, a asynchronous um, you know, constitutional convention and came up with these four pillars of what it actually means to citizen. Number one, show up and participate. Just assume that there's something to be done uh, that you have a role to play. This is an active sport. Get in the field. Um, number two, to citizen is to invest in relationships with yourself, with others, with the planet around you. We can't do the citizen thing alone. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of individual atomic units trying to do everything for ourselves, which is extremist. Like, I can't build a house. I can't make a vaccine. I tried to make a vaccine. It was a delicious whiskey cocktail, but it did <laughs> not stop the COVID. So I need other people. I selfishly need other people for my own best interest to be realized. And the planet is other, you know, is another part of me as well. And I think a lot of us have been fed this story that we're only here to dominate Earth uh, and not to relate to it and not to contribute to it. Uh, and to understand ourselves. I think a lot of us feel pressured to um, almost like issue statements as if we were communications directors on behalf of a major brand or nation state. And it's like, I don't, I don't know, is an acceptable response. But we have to create space and time to get to know and to, to check in with how we feel. And a lot of us, especially us men, are discouraged from connecting with our emotions in any healthy way. And so it ends up in violence quite often because that's acceptable for men. So it's not just the vote. It's like how we are members of society together. So I spent a lot of time on this relationship one. Number three, to citizen is to understand power. And, and when you say power structures, um, we have power in many different forms. This was Eric Liu's great contribution. We have power with our money, with our voice, with our time, with who we spend time with, with where we place our attention. A lot of us given a lot of power to TikTok right now because it's very good at taking our attention. Is that our choice? Is that serving us? Um, and then lastly, we do all these things. The citizen is to deploy all this, the showing up and participating, the investing in relationships, the understanding power. We don't just do it for our individual selves. We do it for, as I like to think of it, our collective selves. And there is, there is an I that's greater than just me, right? There is a we that we are also a part of. And if we're looking out for each other and we recognize our interdependence, then when we're considering others, we're also considering ourselves if we set things up in a healthy way. And I think in our country, in particular in the U.S., we've over-indexed on the, um, the, the rugged individualism. And so we've created this world where we can't trust anyone. It's like deep throat. You know, trust no one. And so if you don't trust anyone, yeah, of course you buy 30 guns and you put the biggest wall around your house. 
and you you school your own kids in your own home, you have your own basketball court, your own pool, you recreate a whole society for one. <laughs> and that is very inefficient and less joyful. And I think what, what you get out of this, this is, you know, you partly ask like, what happens when? What is, you know, what do we get from? What did we feel? What does it feel like when we're citizening in these ways? We feel less alone. We feel more supported. We feel uh, more content. We feel more secure. Security doesn't just come from my solo ability to use gun gun food like John Wick. You know, it comes from trusting the people around me and that they'll look out when I'm asleep. And that is a, a level of security that's kind of the whole point of self-government and people power. So it's just, it's like the whole thing. Basically. Yeah. Wow. Just, it's no, no, the no. whole thing. I was like, that's the show. <laughs> Nailed it. No, no doubt. The, the whole individualistic angle like is interesting to me because a term that always comes to mind when I think of the word citizen is probably pretty dated at this point, but I think there's an, a modern analog of it is the idea of a citizen's arrest. You know, you see oh. it in like TV shows, like cop shows, like I'm exercising my right and doing a citizen's arrest on you criminal. But now it's kind of like the people doing citizen's arrests are like Karens and, and casual racists. Mm. And oftentimes it involves killing the person that you're citizen arresting um, because they threaten you uh, because they look different than you or they you think they're up to no good when in fact they're just living their lives and maybe you're even you've moved into their neighborhood and now they're a threat to you um, but you're just not used to seeing uh, somebody that looks like them or, or doing stuff that, that they're doing that absolutely poses no threat to you. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit? It was, it was in your Ted talk. You expressed yeah, it beautifully. It and just this idea of like the modern day citizens arrest and what that means. <laughs> That's a great interpretation, man. I never heard anybody put it that way. And I, I hadn't thought of it myself. So thank you. That's the beauty of like putting anything in the world. Other people pick it up and they remix it. And you're like, Oh, that's a dope addition to the original draft. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Many people feel empowered uh, to impose, you know, their perspective on others. Many people are empowered to have their fears restrict other folks. And so let me take it out the abstract world. White people in the United States have been trained to process their fear of Blackness through the state, through the apparatus of policing. Uh, policing one of its original intentions was as slave catching. I remember when I found that out, it was just a few years ago. I'm like, this is the wokest Black Lives Matterist fact I have ever heard. Who came up with this? Uh, Mumia, you know, where did this come from? <laughs> and it, it came from like the National Museum of Policing you know, in Washington, D.C. Like they acknowledged it on their own website. And I was like, damn, that's, that's really deep. Um, and so there's a reflex. There's a there's an overused muscle when something, as you put it, feels threatening, other doesn't belong. We don't engage. We broadly, you know, rich people, white people, like those who have some sense of bubble of security. But I'm talking in a racial context here. So white people have been trained. You don't say hello. You feel a certain type of way. You feel threatened because media has trained you that these people are monsters and they're probably going to slit your throat. And, you know, take your child from you and burn your house down. Like all kinds of terrible things are going to happen. So it's best to just call an armed person to the scene instead. Uh, instead of saying like, hey, what are you doing here? Can I help you? 
how are you? Would be like a really <laughs> dope response to just seeing a person you've never seen before. Uh, but a lot of folks don't have practice. Uh, they have the other muscle, uh, the fear muscle. So I think the citizen's arrest is, in that sense, the, the calling the cops on the unfamiliar is a logical extension of a system that has you know, dehumanized so many of us and then prevented others from connecting to their own humanity as well. Because it's actually, I'm not just the dehumanized one in the story. Like if your first response to a stranger is, I must call an armed agent of the state to the scene to deal with them, then I would contend you've lost some of your humanity too. We're going to pause just for a moment uh, to hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back with more. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up... So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And we've returned. Uh, I just had a thought. I'm going to try and piece this together. Baritone uh, All right, go back. I, I got I'm, you. I got you. Uh, so I'm imagining the same... I'm, I'm trying to imagine like one person, right? If, so I think about it in an example or an allegory. Uh, the person who was empowered by the state historically to fear the other in that way, in this case, blackness. Um, it feels like in our modern age of technology, of interconnectedness through a computer, that person has lost their faith in the, the power structures that empowered them initially to feel that way. So it's as if... Um, I'm 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 seeing this vision of somebody who um you know has so much fear in their life as you're talking about building castles around them to try and protect themselves and their family from whatever it is that threatens them it is now also afraid of the economic and governmental structures that like create their power I don't I don't know what I'm saying I'm just I I had no, like, I know really what scary. you're saying Matt Matt I completely so, get it I get it too. And I think, again, y'all are bringing some new flavors to the recipe. This is exciting. You're reminding me of a scene out of the movie Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, which is about Chairman Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party in Chicago. And he has this scene where he's, you know, he's been pulling together this rainbow coalition before Jesse Jackson came on the scene with that term of, of Black Panthers, of, of Puerto Rican activists, uh, and of poor white folks. And he rolls up in this gathering of, I think it's called the Young Patriots, uh, but I can't, don't hold me to it. People should look it up. Do your own research, uh, <laughs> but they should look it up. And then he gets up there and he starts giving a speech to, you know, these very young racists, white racists. And he's like, what if the slaves and, and the poor white folks had got together and slit the masses throat? Uh, you know, your, your schools are as shitty as our schools. The cops disrespect you as much as they disrespect us, but they got you thinking that you're one of them. And so what you've described reminds me of that speech, reminds me of that scene, because you've got an apparatus that was set up explicitly to benefit certain folks. At most, uh, at the top of that list, landowning, white, you know, Christian, uh, Protestant men. And more people got included into that club over time. White women got included more. Other immigrant white groups that were considered animals got elevated to human and then to white. Um, and so we set up all these legal and economic structures like you can buy a house. You can't buy a house. Um, and, and you serve in this way. and You don't serve in this way. And you get this type of education and you live near the pollution. And the problem with that system is that it didn't really benefit a lot of those white people either. It was a nice divide and conquer game. Um that benefited those at the very top even more. And folks are rightly angry. You know, let's 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 give more specific this. Let's give a caricature of just a poor white man who's not rich, never felt privileged a day in his life, working class. The system's not really working that great. You know, opioids, suicide rates are up for this group of people. Uh, the wealth inequality, no good jobs. But th that guy's only been told, well, you're better than these motherfuckers. And, 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 and before he's even encouraged to think, he's given an answer. It's the Muslims. It's the Mexicans. 
It's the trans kids. It's the black guy in Chicago gangbanging. It's Obama. It's George Soros. It's the bankers. Like, it's a whole story is prepackaged and shipped, ready to go. It's like fast food that comes to your house, right into your ears, right to your eyes. impossible to unravel or verify. Yeah. So so his (laughs) anger is so justified. He has been bamboozled. He's been shook. He's been hoodwinked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he's got it twisted, you know, And, and he's been made to victimize even as he's being victimized and, and to turn on, right. It's just, it's that well-practiced muscle. It's probably these black people. It's probably these monkeys. It's probably these immigrants. That is, um, it's a very effective strategy for keeping people disempowered and it doesn't have to be the only way. Well, Lyndon Johnson, you know, uh, completely, you know, went on record we would later find saying the same, like very much the same thing uh, for, albeit for his own Machiavellian purposes. Right. Uh, But the, the thing that I think can help in those sorts of explorations, something to let me make sure I'm saying this correctly. I'm not going to beep. I'm going to keep Paul or keeping it in. I'm going to figure this out. Uh, So we also see, I think this, uh, this really interesting tendency that I wasn't aware of for many years, which was in the halls of government, people started like elected representatives who in theory represent you, uh, like they started using the word consumer instead of citizen, like in place of that. And it was one of those moments where you look around and you think, am I the only one who gets it? It's like when I figured out the main ingredient in soy sauce is soy. And I was like, oh, I thought that was just the name because I didn't really think about it. And this like... I'm so glad you have this platform, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Listen, I do that every every week. I get one of those obvious like to everyone else except me. Oh, that's what... And my wife is like... I thought you were smart. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so uh, we're in the same boat. Keep oh, going. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I think, but that's the other thing. In in what I love uh, about what you're saying about a greater I called a we is the idea that in the ways that matter, people are very much in the same boat. And there is, I, you know, we go back and forth on this show uh, questioning the amount of intention behind Things like um, feeding people prepackaged fear responses. You know, is this something that is like, is there really some shadowy cabal in a lobby, lobbying firm in Washington going, and then they'll think of Pelosi? Yeah. Like, it, uh, like to what degree? Yeah, like, is there an yeah. actual like Senator Palpatine? You know, yes, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like with the Monty Burns fingers and everything. Like, is yeah, this. Yeah. The big question that I know a lot of our listeners constantly ask themselves as well is how much of these sorts of larger, like macro situations, how much are they by design? And if right. so, to what degree? Oh. Yeah. So so I, I stumbled into the meeting one day. Uh, it was a guy named Jerry, a guy named Bob. They had these big cigars. Uh, they were dividing up land. They were ranking <laughs> the races. Uh, they were determining what currencies were going to go up the next week. And uh, I just, I didn't want to get tased. I just, I moved on to the next room, which was a nice little Pokemon meeting. 
Um, <laughs> these people do. There, there is, is intention and, and there is culture. Um, I'm remembering one other thought on the previous point we were discussing. When I think about the um, Charlottesville Tiki Torch Rally and you will not replace us and Jews will not replace us. And, and these men for whom this whole system was designed, be like, the system's rigged against me. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's an absurdity there. Um, and, and I think it's the absurdity of the entitled actually approaching a fairer marketplace and not knowing what to do with themselves because it feels tilted against them when you actually have to put forth a little more effort. Um, I, I want those guys to be liberated from that mindset. You know, it's, it's, it's to, to buy so many guns for fear of a government that's still structured to advantage you, that's a, your, your mind's super twisted on that. It's really like, it's literally your government. <laughs> still your, but, I, both this, sides this, are, are yeah. like rigging the game against you. Like, I don't know. I don't want to sound yeah. too whack that's, job no, about that's it. All right. That's all right. I just mean, it's just, it's an umbrella, man. And they're all in yeah. it for uh, goals and ends that are beyond our pay grade and that we will never benefit from or, 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 you know, you know be able to revel in uh, no matter who you are, no matter how white you are, whatever, like yeah. it's just yeah. not a thing. And like, I, I'm not, again, to your point, I'm not saying don't vote. Is the best we've got, but Dan, if I don't feel so disempowered, no matter what, there's a whole big rah-rah when you have like an Obama victory or, you know, to a much lesser degree, a Biden victory or whatever side of the fence you're on. But that's all just kind of smoke and mirrors, too. It's like, oh, here's a little shot of dopamine, and then let's get right back to the status quo where I mean, you, ob- yeah. Obama's election for me was like, yay! Biden's election was like, whew, yeah, yeah. Right, totally right, different, right. <laughs> totally different exclamation. Um, I, I think to the system design perspective, um, I don't subscribe to Illuminati level explanations for why things are the way they are. I think incentives explain a lot. Um, I think culture can get established and we can, as humans, we're just very capable of creating perverse culture that doesn't really serve most of us, but it rewards enough of us that we stay in it. And and most of us don't like any kind of change. Most of us are very risk averse people. So over decades and centuries, we end up in, in the absurd situation of like, oh, we're in the wealthiest country in the world. And also like the largest number of unhoused people and the largest prison population and the largest poverty rate and the largest maternal mortality rate we clearly quantifiably have the resources to take care of more of us, but we've got this story of like, well, if you're poor, then you're also a bad person. You're immoral in some way. If you're rich, you clearly earned it and worked hard. It's not because we set up the tax code to advantage you and homeowners, which is only available to wealthier people. It's because you're just more worthy as a person. And, and it's not just rich people who accept that. It's poor people too. And so poor people are out here like, Man, what did I do wrong? I'm not, I guess I gotta pray harder, you know? And rich people are like, I guess I'm just that great. <laughs> you know, I just I must be so amazingly great that I I should pay less in taxes on a percentage basis than the poor person. That's my spiritual reward, my fiscal reward for my quality spirit. And I don't think a teeny tiny committee decided all these little things. But I think we concentrated enough decision-making authority and enough resources. 
And we only ask the people winning from those resources to set the rules for themselves, which I would do. Like if, if I'm five years old and you say, make your dietary rules. I'm like, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, all the freaking <laughs> ice cream. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this like is you're a great platform a, you're saying too, right? <laughs> you're not going to get someone to like voluntarily eat broccoli. You know, it's just like, it can't compete with ice cream. And, and so- we, we, we're supposed to have checks and balances. We're supposed to have real representation. But even that system's also been captured, you know, by folks for whom the system is already disproportionately working. Uh, so it just skews even further. And we end up, you know, in this very unhealthy place. We're in a super, it's like the calmest way I could describe this, the embers of, of civil divorce slash civil war we're in now. It's very unhealthy. And then it's just getting more exaggerated. Okay, hold up one second. Let's take a quick pause. We're going to hear a word from our sponsor. Then we'll be back with more of this conversation with Baratunde Thurston. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up... So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, 
Oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And we've returned. Let's get back into it. I'm thinking back to 2004 Baritone Day when you were writing Better Than Crying. And, you know, you're talking about President Cheney, uh, excuse me, Vice President Cheney. And, oh, that uh, was a great <laughs> slip right there. <laughs> Purposeful. Uh, but, but I'm just thinking about the problems that we were facing at the time. You're tackling them with comedy. And, and like like the title says, it's better than crying. We can at least poke fun at the absurdity that's occurring right now with the people that we've elected to represent us. and. I'm just wondering, in your mind, as you've watched politics evolve and our interconnectedness through social media and the way we can all comment now and we can all get on Twitter and say something, um, how has the discourse evolved on the way we think? I know it's it's hard. I, yeah, speak for the whole Internet, Baritunde. But I mean, what have you observed? Uh, how have you observed the discourse on politics change throughout those years since 2004? I'm a long time um, user and practitioner of the technological arts. I mean, I've been online since 93-ish with dial-up bulletin boards. My mother was a computer programmer. I was born way back in 77. And I've had a computer in my house since maybe six years old, uh, which was super rare for anyone of any means, any religion, any race, anywhere in the world. Uh, so I'm in a, a 1% of my own, just that stat alone. And so I mostly was like, yay, technology is awesome. Like it's empowering and everybody has a voice and that's this beautiful thing. We're all connected. Um, And it is still a beautiful thing. There's so much good. There are a lot of people who find a community that were previously alone. Uh, But it's not just uh, sort of subjugated minorities. It's not just previously um, marginalized folks. It's also Nazis, Like Nazis used to have to work a lot harder to find other Nazis. You had to like create a print zine and put ads in like a newspaper classified section with a P.O. box and someone have to mail you a check and you have to meet up at like the roadside stand at an odd hour. You had to try hard. And now the algorithms find you and validate you. And so the discourse isn't just among people, it's among machines intermingled with people who have far less of a sense of morality. They're optimizing for a different outcome. They're optimizing for popularity. They're optimizing for time on site and time on screen and engagement. These very neutral terms, quantifiably neutral, but morally very skewed. Um, and, And I think that internet behavior where everybody gets this right to like address the whole world instantly um, without a sense of responsibility for that right has infected IRL now. So we have members of Congress from multiple party perspectives performing like TikTokers. Oh man! On yeah. the floor of Congress. I mean, Hot we're takes. in Georgia. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're in Say the names. <laughs> you know what I'm so about? we. T- yeah. Uh, watch, so that, a political, that, that, I, watch a political ad in Georgia. I had a, a friend visiting from L.A. and there were these political ads with like 
anti-trans, like, the, you know, the gays are infecting the minds of our, they just say that on TV. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. So, so, and, so the yeah. comment section is in our legislative bodies and, and like the worst parts of the comment section. But I, it comes back to, cause I want to, I can do a real good diagnosis like anybody else. I'd like to get my like prescriptive hat on for a sec. Cause I set up this podcast, howdecision.com, because I was tired of just like, it's all bad. And so, yeah, we, the internet has helped um, corrode all of our institutions and helped reveal them right? uh, for, for what they were doing and what they were not doing that they said they were doing. Uh, and so our trust in everything is lower than it's ever been. Like, every, like the NBA, the church, the state, the banks, like anything with the in front of it, we're like, I'm not messing with that anymore. You know, it's just like, I, got, I do my own research. But we set our internet up in a particular way and we use the word community when we did it. But what we were really setting up were commercial establishments, were malls. We set up a place for business and we called it a public square. And we had a guest on our podcast, Eli Pariser, um, in this most recent season. And it's like, what if everywhere you interacted with anyone was a mall? What if you went to church inside the mall? What if your dates were all at the mall? What if your gym was at the mall? What if your, where you took your kids to learn how to walk was at the mall? That's what Facebook is. That's what Twitter is. We're asking them to be all this other stuff when they're the mall. And, and we've just thrown people in, called them a community, but that, it's not it. It's not it. any community that I'm a part of, for real, I know the people. There's a sense of like, we're here for a shared reason, whether it's pickleball or justice, you know, like, it's, and there's expectations. There's norms. There's a sense of like, this is out of line. We don't do that here. And there's some kind of warm up before I have like a full membership experience. There's, a, there's an unofficial probationary period where the, the kids who are already at the school show the new kids, what's up? You don't give the new kid at a new school the microphone at assembly and say, say whatever you want about anybody <laughs> right now. Go nuts. Just go no limits. That. Free speech. Yeah. Free speech. <laughs> like, that's insane. Like we have free speech, but we restrain ourselves out of a sense of shared commitment, out of a sense of responsibility and belonging and, and what we want to experience. I don't just want to hear people yelling what's on their minds all the time, but that's what Twitter is. That ain't a damn community. You know, so funny. we you can use build the term it community, differently. And all of these, uh, these sites have community <laughs> terms of, of and service. And they're not. It's just right. gatherings of people. It's right. audiences. It's, they're mining us, literally. But I'm like saying they're trafficking in our rules, data. But it's not the kind of rules and norms that you're talking about. And it's like these are the kind of rules they adjust over time yeah. to make it less Nazified, maybe. But it's still too but little, it's, too it's, late. It's on the back it's, end. Yes, you know, exactly. they weren't. Yes. No one who understood how people enjoy gathering was involved in setting up these digital gathering spaces. For the most part, there are others. You know, we had a, a guest on from the, from Bahrain, little teeny, teeny Middle Eastern nation. She set up this on social media network for LGBTQ plus people in the Middle East. So by some definitions in those countries, she, she set up a network for criminals for people who are punished violently for being who they are. So she had to be very cautious and careful how she set this up. And they made trolling so 
difficult because on day one, you don't just get the keys to the whole site. You got to go on board. You got to like just you're in read only mode for like seven days. Then you get to unlock these different sections of the site. Then you get the ability to tag somebody else in a message. And you, but you've got to behave a certain way. You you unlock the privileges like any healthy environment we've all been a part of. So nine months later, you have pretended to be a good person. And now you want to start doxing someone? Like that doesn't that doesn't happen. Most people, most trolls are lazy. Just like most spammers. Like you do it because it's cheap and easy. I can send a death threat to every member of Congress in the next 30 seconds. Why is it so easy? <laughs> Tax that shit. You know? <laughs> right? Dude, that's such an interesting concept because you're essentially providing exposure therapy to somebody who may have like homophobic views, right? right? And then that's immersing right. them in that community. That's re- that, that's great. I'm, what episode and is I that? Think <laughs> that is, um, her name is Esra Al-Shafi. Uh, it's E-S-R-A, and it's in the season three. I don't know the episode number, and I can't think of the title of the second. It's something about scale, like scale is bullshit. Um, <laughs> but we, we all you know, can benefit from that. And I am very guilty of just having judgments about people who I don't have experience with. And I show up with my talking points, and I grab whatever the latest factoid that the internet gave me, and I'm like, I'm informed. Here's my opinion, and I don't start with a question I start with the imposition of an answer. And that's not good for me either. It's not like I'm just saying like conservative right-wing people are uniquely wrong. (laughs) We are all wrong. Uh, But we have created tools where we're made to feel righteous uh, as well as right and and justified in that rightness. That's really not healthy. And it's exhausting. It's actually exhausting to get angry about everything all the time. I think right, uh, I'm sorry. I'm ranting. No, this calmly. is you, you're in the you're in the right place, sir. I do want to shout out that is move slow and fix things. Season three, episode That's four. Uh, so, Thank you yeah. for doing what I was too lazy to oh, do. Oh no, hey, we're a community. You know? I'm like I don't know. It's a podcast episode. I, is there any way I could figure out who was on my show? Nah. What we called the episode? Nah, There's nah, this mall you can go to. There's this mall. I like. I mean, the idea though. Of funct, it's brilliant, you know, the idea of um, earning. Uh, trust, right? That's another big part of a community. I love the, I love the school analogy. I love the, uh, the idea of this great mall because you know whenever we hear people talking, um, often you know like tune in at the six o'clock news for more bad shit. Uh, as you said, they, there's this notion that. The private for-profit entities, the metas, the, um, you know, the Twitters, et cetera, should have some sort of moral compass. And that's – if there is a definition of morality for a large for-profit entity, its morality is profit year over year. That's kind of the closest it gets to. So, But the question then becomes how can one – how how can one attempt to build an actual community in this mall? That's going to be stuck in my head. It's got to be from all. scratch. <laughs> you can't legislate, uh, you know, these other companies. They're not selling this product that you're describing. And, and, and it doesn't make sense for them to sell it because you, you talked about scale. You can't scale this with Facebook. It's too much work. People don't want to well, work. I mean, there's maybe Esra's episode. I mean, some. If your goal is to generate as much attention as possible, you'll do one thing. If your goal is to create 
as much of a sense of belonging and community as possible, you'll do another thing. Um, and a lot of the way our internet was built was financed by a very small group of people who wanted one thing, to get rich as fast as possible. They were rich people who wanted to get 10 times richer. They were, they were millionaires who wanted to be billionaires. And that's cool. Like, I want to make more money than I make. Um, but they took that desire and used it to design our de facto public space. And that's not a choice we should have to go along with. We should have digital public spaces is what, what you know, Eli and his organization, New Public's Perspective, is. And, and I like that. Um, I think the, I don't know, I think too many things. <laughs> I am, um, there, there is a limit to even my own sense of faith in like our ability to do the self-governing thing so that we all have a, a, a good and positive experience. And it was something one of you said a little while back, just about the vote. And it's like, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. oh, yeah, no, you were like, I don't want to knock voting, but I, still, I don't know how effective it is, right? I could see you like struggling. And we have like the, the numbers are in. Our representatives don't represent us. You know, their, their votes align more with their donors than with their constituents. We also can see when 88% of us want something, like universal background checks on firearm sales, we still don't get it because 50 people refuse to do their jobs. That's not working. That's broken. We see the Electoral College, you know, giving a ton of influence to states with far fewer people. The same states that held slaves, which was partly why it was designed that way. So you go back to system design. There is a great, vast conspiracy, but it's out in the open. It's in, it's in the Constitution, right, in certain ways. And so you don't need to go as far as like George Soros to arrive at some of that stuff. You can go to our own founding fathers um, and be like, oh, they, they did that. Are we going to fix it? They gave us an amendable constitution too. Are we going to change it? Are we going to make you know, equal rights an amendment as well for women? Maybe. So I don't know. I This stuff, um, at this very moment, I'm a bit on the knife's edge of, I'm a hopeful self. I believe in we the people. And I'm just like, what the fuck? What is going, like, where do we draw the line? Uh, at these, you know, with the, whether it's the shootings or the row rollback, the Buffalo or the Uvalde, or by the time you hear this, insert new tragedy. It's a template now. <laughs> and and that is um, our, the inability and the unwillingness of our government to actually represent the will of the people and the healthy interests of the people. It is a failure. And we we have to we have to fix that. Or else it'll just keep failing, uh, and so I'm I'm looking for answers myself. I have a few ideas, but I I have nothing like a oh here's what we do. <laughs> it's weird, Richard, because I was talking to uh, to some of my associates who are not based in the U.S. and I think there's there's a danger in human psychology. It it can be beautiful, but it's dangerous how quickly the strangest things and the most unclean things become normalized, right? Like it's just always been that way. Uh, talking to, talking to somebody from, you know, South America, uh, talking to somebody from, you know, the, the Middle East or Australia or something. You sit, and they will ask about politics, about the vote, right? You say, well, People are very sticker motivated for the most part. So about every four years we get in line uh, because we want to have a sticker to post on social media. Uh, and we, you know, it's voting. So there's like not really, um, not really bribery. And they're like, well, okay, 
what what do you have then? I'm like, well, we call it lobbying. Because those those votes are you just can't say the B word, but you can still do the game. <laughs> and so it's tough with money. Uh, you know, it gets reduced down to this like thought terminating cliche of money in politics until people get bored. Thought terminating cliche. Yes, not nice our turn of phrase. Not our invention. That's great. But I think it it works. <laughs> um, yeah. So what? Like that's one of the that's one of the big questions in my mind is the, you know, people are incredibly intelligent. For the most part, people are extraordinarily intelligent and can smell bullshit uh, about a kilometer away, right? If they really think about it. But I, I, I think as a result of that, it's, it is highly unlikely that anybody who really pays attention to what a system is supposed to be in theory right? And it's aspirational form versus what we see in practice. Do you, when you are talking with, with these great minds on how to citizen, do you, do you find yourself and your guest kind of like I'm word salading already. I'm falling into a cycle of like, this sucks, but then also this sucks. And then also, yeah, I'll keep going. Um, do you feel like, do you feel like how to citizen, um, whether it's you all or, or guest? arrive at at concrete you know these are things to do now i know that's a big part of it yes yes they do um, but go ahead you, you just I know. go ahead and and answer it's a yeah. setup <laughs> it is a setup <laughs> um the short answer which i've been terrible at uh during this time is yes uh we we created a template ourselves to make sure to put action in every episode and so we give people kind of three ways to approach whatever the topic is. And the first is like a personal reflection. I think of it as like single player mode. You can do this by yourself. You don't need anybody else. Uh, the other is, is, is be informed. And so you like, go learn something, go get out of here a little more. And then the third is publicly participate. And that's the multiplayer uh, sort of real time mode because it's good. And it takes all three levels. Um, we, reflecting is, I think, really important. I, I mentioned it earlier, but I think a lot of us just skip that stage. And so we just have all these emotions and they show up at a school board meeting screaming at teachers for being groomers, right? That's just an emotional response, like reading off a prompter without just thinking, like, do I feel like this? Is this how I want to show up in my community right now? Is this the image? Is this the lasting image I want my neighbors to have of me? with like a pitchfork screaming at the school board for grooming kids, for just like trying to have a book on the shelf that has two moms in it. But we don't pause there. Like we're just so quick to act. So I think, again, the same with the like, you know, investing in relationship with yourself. So every episode we've got sets of actions. We've got over a hundred things that people can do. We have howtocitizen.com with like a catalog of action. And... There is salvation. Uh, there is um, some satisfaction in the local. And I think a lot of us, you know, we, we, are, we have nationalized our sense of citizenship and the conversation about it. We just think of like America and the country. It's like, well, that's a construct. You know, if we think about like our neighborhood, maybe we think about our city, but even a lot of us live in massive cities that are beyond human scale. Are we looking out for, are we connected with the people right around us? 
Are we showing up? Do we even know where the nearest elementary school is? Are we volunteering there? Do we have a relationship there? I'm asking, these are questions I'm literally asking myself right now. Like, I don't have kids, but there are many schools right around. I, I joined the school walkout. No way. Just last week. It wasn't a plan. I was so angry. I've been crying all week in between meetings <laughs> and flights. And I went for a walk, a very aggressive hike to just try to sweat out some of this anger. And I took a turn that wasn't uh, anticipated, one I don't usually take. And I heard this chanting, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. And then the very young voices, I see these kids coming down the street. And they've got their signs and they're like, take our guns, not our children. Take our guns, not our children. And I started crying. I'm like just uh, chanting with them. I'm so proud of you. I'm so sorry we failed you. And I walked like 15 minutes with them and people are honking and they're cheering and you just see their raw emotion. Like high school is supposed to be torture, but not like this, right? It's supposed to suck and hurt, but not like this. It's supposed to be for for puberty and hormones and acne and first everything, first loves and first kisses, not first shootings. You know, so... But but I, you know, as much as I was ranting and like consuming and downloading and tweeting, I felt the best when I was physically next to people who were even closer to this challenge. And I didn't lead the march. I didn't organize shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get coffee. You know? right. But I, I paid attention and I joined in for like 15, 20 minutes and I put them on IG Live and interviewed a few of them to try to amplify their thing. And they were happy to have some support. And I had a healthy outlet for my rage for a moment. And I think all of us need to, to double down on that. You know, find something close to us that we can really sink our teeth into, put wrap our arms around. There's no shortage of challenges, but there's also no shortage of people approaching those challenges, you know, with a spirit of citizening. Um, so I, I want us all to... I'm trying to, I'm selling myself right now on my own belief system <laughs> because it's been hard. It's been a hard couple of weeks. Well, I was going to thank you specifically for making uh, your podcast descriptions so robust. Like you put some of those actions that you can take in the podcast description. So as you're listening, you can read some of those actions and literally take notes. You should be taking notes when you listen to How to Citizen, by the way. Uh, Thanks for that. Yeah. And in the web, we have full transcripts. You know, we want people to want to make it accessible, search the site, like look for your thing. We had a really dope uh, episode, bonus episode about homelessness. And like, there are things we know that work. And a lot of our leaders in multiple cities and counties and states are just failing us. And that's not a, that's not a party thing either. You know, I'm a registered Democrat. I've lived only in cities. Well, no, New York had Bloomberg for a time. Um, and Boston, we had a, a Republican governor. So I've probably lived in more diverse set than I imagine. At any rate, my county here in Los Angeles has been flagrantly negligent, having raised billions of dollars for the problem, spending like $600,000 per unit of housing. That's dumb. That's wasteful. That is ineffective. Uh, but we had someone on who has a better way. And so now it's up to me to like go to a meeting or write a letter or join in a volunteer effort 
to try to give more momentum to the thing that is actually working and not just you know stew. That's, that's what I wanted to get to. In the second season, you focus on economics, at least to my ears. That seems like what you did. And you have all these takeaways. I wonder if there's anything you can impart to us, anybody listening that maybe was able to somehow against all odds save just a little bit of money that that's extra. Like, what the heck do, should we do with that money in order to help each other in our community? Where should we put oh, it? How that, should we I invest am so it? glad – you asked, um, my, my crypto wallet address is barrettoonday.com. <laughs> and uh, if you just want to shoot that on over, uh, the people, it's all for the people. Okay. So you just hook me. <laughs> Do your part. <laughs> and I will, I'll take Solana as well. Um, we can work it you, out. You take the I'm a multi-chainer. I'm a multi-chainer. The Chiba Inu. That's a good one. I heard that was going. Th- that's a gonna... really... That's a really good question. So two, two things come to mind. One is banking. Uh, when we put our money in a bank, we are giving an institution power, right? We are, we are distributing our power and saying, hold this for me and do whatever you want with it to multiply it and give me like a half a percent, <laughs> Maybe 1%. If we're in an aggressive, you know, high yield savings account. <laughs> so high. 2.2%. Right. And meanwhile, you can go do credit default swaps and all kinds of highly leveraged nonsense and with my money. Um, and you can extract it from my community and ship it to places that have no benefit to the people I love, know, or care about. We can make a different choice with our banking. If it's $10 in the bank, if it's $100,000 in the bank, who do you want to benefit from your money? Think about that. Think about it like that. Don't think about it just as like who's got the best app or who's got the most present brand. Who are are you excited to let into your house? You know, it's your money. It's your, you worked for it. (laughs) And then you're just going to give it to some random company. I'm, again, I'm talking to myself. I still bank with Chase. I'm working on it. <laughs> well, you, it's hard to untangle sometimes. You saw so, my bank right? call me, but and uh, oh yeah, yeah. while we in the pre-show, yeah, they knew this conversation was coming. They're trying to, I they're trying to cut you off. I know where you're going. <laughs> they're yeah. about to offer you a sweet deal. I'm well, a Wells Fargo guy too, and we've done whole episodes on how crooked and horrible <laughs> Wells Fargo is, yeah. and yet I'm just lazy, and I'm still with Wells Fargo, and it's I, embarrassing yeah. to exactly. say, but I'm gonna cop I, to uh, it right now. You know, no, so, so that's a that's a great. Yeah. So we're all acknowledging. Yeah, that. I wrote an episode about how terrible they are, and then after we recorded, I like had to call them, <laughs> and, and yeah. it was like, ah. so so can can we put our resources in a in a co op instead of a bank? Can we put it in a locally owned bank? Can we put it in a minority owned bank? Can we put it in something that's like grounded in the neighborhood? Can we put it in a facility that pays taxes? <laughs> you know, like, why, why aren't um, and banks then, more know, like charities, though? Like, why aren't there banks that are set up to just do good work? Well, is that's it, a co-op. Okay, got that's it. A, that's yeah, a co-op. Yeah. So a co-op is a member-owned financial institution, like a farmer's market co-op, you know, like, like a worker co-op. And we had two episodes in that season um, about cooperatives. And one that really comes to mind is, uh, it's called, the episode is called Land Without Landlords. Um, and it's about West Oakland and this group called the East Bay Permanent Real Estate Cooperative. And basically, you know, people in Oakland are, are getting run out of Oakland because the money's coming. 
the the wave of tech money and and twee white people and electric scooters and five dollar teeny tiny coffee drinks is coming, and and we've decided as a nation through our inaction that money rules everything, uh, and if you have it, you can have a decent life, and if you don't, you're going to suffer. So they decided to pull their resources and buy a bunch of buildings together, and they govern it together, and they decide who, what types of businesses they want, what types of art institutions, and provide you know supportive housing there in a way that a commercial developer, we haven't set up capitalism to make that probably dude want to do that. We could. We haven't yet. And so we've said, look, housing is a stock like anything else. Housing is, is, a, is a speculative venture now. It's, it's like Doge. <laughs> and they're like, oh, the crypto market is such a scam. It's such a pyramid scheme. Have you looked at the housing market? <laughs> well, you're just, buy, you're just buying that crypto because you want it to go up in value. You're not really interested in the underlying utility of the coin. What about the white papers, though, Baratunde? That's what's happening with housing. People, we just buy houses as investments now, not as homes. And that's a game that everybody plays because it's what we're all trying to do. So, I, you know, we, there are other, uh, there are other models for us to subscribe to. And I think for someone out there who's sitting on a buck or a million, where you keep your money and how you try to combine it with others, there's a lot we can do just on that front. Um, and also listen to season two. There's a lot of answers in that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last, just building because like I just bought bought a house, so I've been kind of neck deep in a lot of this stuff. But like you know, here in Atlanta, and I'm sure this is the case in, in many many other st- uh, cities, but it's so difficult for first time or anybody to buy a house here because you're competing with these developers that can pay cash. And so they come to the table immediately just by the fact that by virtue of the fact they're paying cash, they trump any other normal couple that does want to have a home or that does maybe, maybe you're a, this is a made up term because it's probably not real, but like a benevolent landlord where you want to buy houses and rent it for affordable market rates and not just like jack up the price. You can't compete with these developers because if the seller thinks that they're going to not have any chance of losing the sale because of financing falling through or whatever, they're going to go with the cash offer. But like you meant, you made the point of like, we're not set up for this kind of thing to work, you know, for actual human beings. Wow. What does that look like? How can you legislate and make it where these developers can't just buy up every available piece of land in a city to the point where it jacks up the rent for people that have been living there for generations. Mm. Dude, we were talking this about is, this off air before you jumped on. Like literally. <laughs> we absolutely were. And I, the fun thing is I do have answers for everything. I don't know if they're the right answers, but I will just share like, I remember living in New York. I was there for 12 years. I left three years ago and, and feeling what I will call again, the wave of money where the, the housing is occupied by money rather than people. And, and so you have empty apartments sitting there just as investments. You're rising in value, but not providing homes and experiences and community for human beings. We can make different sets of rules that limit how many units of housing a commercial entity can own and operate. You know, we can make a transparency requirement on a company like Airbnb with the city to make sure that folks aren't turning long-term apartments into short-term hotels and, and that one, that neighborhoods aren't being totally swallowed up. You can put a cap, you know, Palm Springs has put a cap on percentages of a neighborhood 
that can be short-term rented so that there's still a sense of belonging. No one, very few people want to live in a hotel or in a resort or like a hotel strip environment uh, or else we'd all just move to Vegas. And that's that's a place you only should go for no more than four days at a time. You can't live in that year <laughs> round, not on the strip. That's insane. But that's what we've turned. But so there's incentives. Now the problem, you know, is like our legislative process is bought by the people making money off the legislative rules in place and ensuring that. So that requires democracy reform. Same with gun reform, same with all this stuff. So the money in politics thing is a big, you know, phrase, but there's tangible things we can do to limit it. Public financing of campaigns, transparency, even about the people raising all this money that's unaccountable, you know, to, to us, the people, term limits, uh, combination of things and, and districts that don't look like spaghetti. <laughs> right. That actually correlate to neighborhoods and not, you know, an incumbent protection racket. And then also you are you brought up lobbying, like we banish bribery. <laughs> <laughs> but then how will anything you know, get you, done? <laughs> I mean, it's just that's a funny thing. They tell us, uh, call your member of Congress. And when we call, they're on the phone with the donor. You know what I mean? Like, well, they're the ones they, we that don't get have the, the real phone slot. number. They're the ones that get we the don't have the real. Phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. they're in a meeting. So make the donors get in line with us. Uh, we th- there's there's a handful of things that I think would make a really really big difference. Uh, but in terms of this housing thing, yo, it's. I don't think we'll do most of this anytime soon. I think we'll just live with the horrible consequences of an action further until it reaches an even more severe breaking point. But we all have our limits. And, you know, Occupy Wall Street represented a limit for a lot of people. And they were just like, enough. We are occupying these physical spaces. The civil rights movement represents a threshold. People just had enough. We're going to sit in on this counter. We're going to occupy this space. We're going to march. We're going to coordinate with legislative strategies as well. So we're not just, quote unquote, marching. So I, we are approaching that. I see it already with climate stuff and, and what the next generation, the tolerance is thinner, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm with them. They're, they're occupying like oil tankers and whatnot over in England, like Greta and all the kids who are taking the, the Fridays off of school to protest. It's building up. Um, so be ready to, um, to stand with, you know, when you're walking down the street and you see a group of kids marching for their lives, at least be ready to join them. Yes, 100%. And this is, you know, I knew we were going to run into this as soon as we were actually hanging out again, but we have so much more stuff to explore. And Matt, Noel, I know that you guys have, like, we have transparency, right? We have this document, right, with all the, with all these Ooh. questions. And there's stuff <laughs> that we were thinking about. And I'm going through, I'm like, mm might save that one. We want to prioritize and be respectful of your time, but we absolutely must have you return on the show again. If you are at, at all interested, because we've, we've had a wide range of conversation touching on things that affect every imaginable listener to this show, you know, and I want to thank you uh, for creating how to citizen. I, I, I know it could not be easy even when it feels worthwhile, sometimes especially when. Ben, uh, thank thank y'all. Thank you all for Ben Madnoll for having me. I have lost track of time completely, and that is a, a huge compliment. 
because it's hot in this room. <laughs> um, and and I could talk with y'all for hours. I already I already can feel it. We can just keep riffing. I mean, I have, we didn't even get to my background with conspiracy theories. Oh. And like, I was early to the game. Oh. I was early to the game. Pre-X-Files, like early bulletin board stuff. Um, actually, I'll drop a name. Maybe one of your listeners will recognize. Uh, Sherman Skolnick was um, a Chicago-based, like he had the Citizens something court. Anyway, he had crazy theories about like Bill Clinton's inauguration and how there's a tent just filled with... Japanese televisions and like mind control <laughs> I used to eat that stuff up. Yeah. I was on Alex Jones, bef- not physically on the show. I was listening to him before he was super nationally syndicated and then <sighs> dangerously disruptive to our whole democracy. Um, so and he yeah, started there, off, could, he was kind could, of interesting. Could, I mean, he was sort of like a fringy He was entertaining without being so yes, harmful. 100%, yeah. And then he, you know, tipped on that spectrum of entertainment to destruction toward destruction. Um, I, I'd, I'd classify a lot of uh, punditty type people in that category. They got, got high on their own supply <laughs> and, and, and they started making money, uh, increasing the extremity you know, of their comments. And they got disconnected from reality um, on purpose. I think most of them know that what they are peddling is bullshit, but it's serving them. Um, and so they're actually, they don't have listeners, they have victims. Uh, it's it's funny. There's a projection by all these people, like they're the predators, <laughs> they're the groomers, <laughs> right? They're they're grooming people for white supremacy, right? Like they're softening up and making palatable terminology and language that is should be absolutely not accepted in society. But that's not that's me warming up rather than cooling down. So I um, may I plug one? May I plug one project? Before Please plug everything. Okay, okay. So I made a television show. Um, for PBS. Uh, yes. That's airing this summer. It's called America Outdoors with Baratunde Thurston. And it is, it feels disconnected from everything we've been talking about, but it's actually very connected to everything we've been talking about. Because I had the privilege of traveling for six weeks in the summer of 2021, one week per location, one location per episode, interacting with Americans of every kind of background, of every kind of ability um, and ancestry who all have a deep connection to the outdoors. There were Trumpy watermen in the Chesapeake Bay. There were, you know, woke black surfers in LA. There were indigenous, you know, nations in Minnesota harvesting wild rice. Uh, there, There were ranchers in Idaho and mountain bikers too. So there's something kind of in this show for everyone. And I think for all the discord and disconnect and despair, uh, I was so absolutely recharged by investing in that relationship with others and and with nature at the same time. I think of the show as like, how to sit as an outside. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's just... With all the screen stuff and the algorithms and everything we've been talking about. Well, we started off talking so about how, how easy it is to not want to say hello or to ask a question yeah. and to immediately other. And I think that applies not only, you know, between white people seeing black people or someone that doesn't look like them. It's like the same with neighbors that look the same. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's just a people thing. Yeah, I've seen white people, people not talk to other white people. Yes, dude. And, and I, I'm like, yeah. but you have so much in common. Why don't you? <laughs> but I think one thing that we all have in common, and I think that, you know, Matt, you're so good at this. And 
this is something that we all share, but, you know, Matt will just strike up a conversation with a stranger and get their life story out of them, you know, in the first like five minutes of the conversation. And it is a gift. Um, but I think we all genuinely value that. And that's what makes us ask questions and, and are curious. And we want to find out about our neighbors and what they think about things. And, you know, there's, there are no strangers to us. So I, I think that's a good way to be. And yes. it's a good message to spread. Yes. And so that's, that's, well, this, this show, um, it's a birthday gift to the U.S. It, it premieres July 5th. So um, in your in your celebratory hangover, <laughs> tune in for six weeks running to America Outdoors. And I'm Baratune Day on all the socials. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I write for a publication called Puck. You can just find it at puck.news. I won't go into too much detail on that, but it's dope. And some of my deepest thinking is in print there because I get to think about what I say before I say it, unlike with you, Yahoo's. Uh, and for, but for, for the stuff they don't want you to know, crew, um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give your listeners my phone number. It's a special number. Don't be alarmed. Um, it's a community, so a semi-public number. You can text this number, and if you do so, you will basically join a text mailing list. But I won't hit you up for fifteen dollars every week like Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I I respect you too much. It's just one time to just extract <laughs> dollars from you. one time. I'll give you that wallet address one more time. <laughs> but but the number is two o two. Eight nine four, eight eight four four, and two zero two eight nine four eight eight four four, and just send in the body the text. Uh, put STD WYTK. Also, when I say it out loud, it just makes me think of sexually transmitted. Oh, I know. Man. I feel like it, if we could go, if we could go back yeah. and get a different name for this show, <laughs> it, like we thought we were going to get fired when we started making this show, and then when we realized we weren't going to get fired, we confronted the next problem, which it is it's the longest friggin' name for a show. <laughs> it is stuff they do. Actually, hold up. So if you have patience, do the whole acronym, the the letters, or just say stuff. <laughs> just put. <laughs> Say, put text me with the word stuff at two zero two eight nine four eight eight four four. I know wait, wait till we me. call out our phone number, Baritone. They are going to be uh, oh jeez. We we might save that for the end. Maybe we'll catch. I don't know. But yeah, also uh, uh That's where that yes. was one of my starting points for a lot of your current and previous work. I want to also shout out. We're having a moment, um, mm-hmm. which we because we mentioned how to citizen first, but we should also mention. We're having a moment. And, um, and definitely don't sleep on keep Jerry Falwell away from my Oreo cookies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I feel like, yo, we are, this is how you know we're actually maybe becoming friends. It's hard to say goodbye. It's like a, it's like a 90s R&B song. I have oh, to gosh. say the, the, the joke that occurred to me when I heard the name of that book, Jerry Falwell is the kind of guy that sees an Oreo and just goes, ooh, don't mind if I do. I used to do, when I was early in my stand-up career, I was like, I need a product. And I didn't have the equipment to do a quality audio recording and make like CDs for sale. But I was like, I'm a writer. So I would take my weekly newsletter and I'd write little jokes, momentary jokes, I call it. Basically, that's weekend update style jokes. And so I had these mojo quarterly, <laughs> uh, momentary every quarter. I put the best of my jokes and essays in little pamphlets and I'd sell them at the back of the club for a dollar. Uh, they were just like these pam- Xerox zines uh, of my stuff. And that provided a little money, but it, it gave me people a calling card. Uh, one of those book titles, books in very big quotation marks, was this Keep Jerry Falwell Away From My Oreo Cookies, because he and his focus on the family group, uh, may he rest in peace, were uh, so appalled that there was a, um, 
an LGBTQ plus like Olympics event, the gay games. It was in Chicago and, and Nabisco was a sponsor. And so they were boycotting Nabisco for destroying the American family uh, by promoting like athletics and community uh, amongst people who we've excluded for, for quite a long time. And, you know, shocker, I took some offense at that, but I wrote some really uh, hilarious and uh, disrespectful things uh, about Jerry Falwell <laughs> in that zine. So if, if you can find it, you are very good at internet sleuthing uh, because it, it wasn't a big, a big online thing. Um, so yeah, special reward. For yeah, me. you'll be one of the uh, you'll be one of the deep deep cut fans. At which point, let let us know because we will we will try to find, we're going to try to find this too. That's uh, that one is one of the ones I haven't read yet. So I I want to <laughs> I can't believe y'all went that literally no one has ever brought up like in a decade in over a decade no one has brought up those little self-published book titles. Yeah, but these congressional so, pages are just so damn sexy. Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the thing about momentary jokes. <laughs> like, people are like, why would you call a book that? It made sense at the time. There was a member of Congress and he was you know, groping the pages. and <laughs> he had to be there. It was a whole thing. Remember Binders it was Full back, of Women? Look, that was a fun that, I'll date fun myself. Moment. This was back in a time when, uh, you know, public officials... Uh, and people of trusted leadership positions in the community were sometimes inappropriate with children. I know that's hard to imagine Absurd. nowadays, but we we used to live in that world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back in 06. <laughs> yeah. mm. <laughs> the old 06. That was back when we could call uh, the early 20s the aughts, right? Or is it? I never did I that. never did that. I, I, I tried never, to make it a thing, but I just odds. wasn't cool enough. I didn't have the social capital with my friends. Yeah. Uh, so I just didn't say it. <laughs> I just skipped. There's nothing happened mm. between 2000 and the, the 10s. It was just yeah. a, a blank period. I can't believe yeah. you made a full episode and a bonus episode. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Please do goodbye. Yeah, we're not we're not blowing smoke. Uh, This is gonna be the last time that we'll say it. Uh, Don't take our word for it. Go check out How to Citizen and uh, let us know what you think. And take advantage of that phone number. Go learn more about the work. And spoiler, we don't know what's happening in season four, so we're tuned in right with you. Uh, And we cannot wait to hear your thoughts. Uh, It is. Always a pleasure to hang out. We actually made it happen from all those months ago in Texas. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. This means a lot. Yeah. Thank you all. It's been a pleasure. What a ride. Uh, I am so, you know what? I'm so glad we were able to make this interview. It. I, d- I don't think it's in the interview, but one of the first things we were talking about uh, when Baratunde hopped on is uh, he said, you guys actually made this happen. That's so very un-Los Angeles of you. <laughs> and I'm so glad we did. I'm, I, did you guys enjoy that? You kidding? Best part of my week so far. Uh, what a thoughtful, uh, lovely, interesting fellow. Uh, and it just felt really great to just kind of, you know, shoot the breeze with him and not really necessarily have a specific direction. Um, but it went in so many directions that I think are going to be uh, valuable for for listeners and certainly valuable for me. We hit on it in the interview, but the work Baratunde is doing, and especially How to Citizen, it does feel like it's important stuff. And the takeaways that you get with every episode, I don't know, uh, those actionable items, it's something that you would learn in a class 
You know, it does, it does feel like you're in a class, but when you're inside the episode listening, it feels like you're just in a conversation. So, uh, I couldn't be happier that we got to speak with him about all the various subjects we did. Mm -hmm. And we hope that you enjoyed this, uh, interview as much as we did folks. We can't wait to hear your thoughts. You can find us online, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the hits. Uh, you can also call that number. Baratunde was talking about. Uh, it, it is real. I, I'm texting it as well. And uh, while you're around your phone, if you don't like the sip in the social meds, you can also just call us directly. That's right. We're one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Leave a message to the sound of Ben's dulcet tones. You have three minutes to tell your tale, ask your question, do with whatever you would like. Uh, and if you need more time than that, totally cool. We've got another way to reach us. Why not send us a good old fashioned email where we are? Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.